Warning, the following podcast, which contains strong language and mature content, is unsuitable for children or for the faint of heart. The subject matter discussed will be frightening and graphic in nature. Listener discretion is advised. When you want to hear about the paranormal, you get the spooked girls. True crime that makes you hypothermal with the three spooked girls. Stabby snippets will give you dreams. Taryn Jessica will make you. Along with the spooked girls Bring on the slaughter We on that haunted ground The three spooked girls Hey there spooksters and welcome back to another episode here on Three Spooked Girls. My name is Jessica and as always I'm joined by my favorite gal pal, Tara. Hey spooksters. Today, we are concluding the most underrated true crime movies that have a real-life spin to it. I mean, there were just some really good ones that I'm like, I need to watch now, especially mm-hmm. Bernie with Jack Black and Shirley MacLaine. Like, don't sleep on that movie. Unfortunately, these things have been voted on, so <laughs> bear with me. I'm going to have to be like, did I read that? I did. I did. So they're not in the same order. But well, here we are. The first one for tonight is The Changeling, or the movie. Angelina Jolie stars in a Clint Eastwood's Changeling. She's Christine Collins, a single mom whose beloved son, Walter, disappears for five months. Which is a fucking long time. Like, I think of five months, I'm like, Jesus. When the cops finally find him, he's halfway across the country. Mother and son are reunited, but Christine is convinced that this boy is not actually Walter. Among other things, he's three inches shorter. Oh my god, like, where happened to my kid? He's tiny. She tries to convey these concerns to the police, who first respond by attempting to gaslight her, then by committing her to a mental institution. Mm, This was the 20s, so, you know, that's what happened. Yeah. Because it was like, women had periods, so then they they must be crazy. The hysteria's got them. Hysteria. And you're like, (laughs) no, I'm just fucking annoyed with you. Like, pick up your damn socks. But anyway. For real. (laughs) (laughs) Aside from the typical excellent performance by Jolie and the compelling portrayal of a woman fighting to find her real son, Changeling works because it offers an astute look at how institutions can apply great pressure on individuals in order to achieve corrupt results. That was well written. I'm liking that. (laughs) Okay. The Changeling is based on the shocking Wineville chicken coop murders. Why do I know that? We have not done that, but it's like, it's one a lot of people. You've probably heard it somewhere. It's an old case. Makes sense. Okay. The Wineville Chicken Coop Murders, in which a man named Gordon Stewart Northcott abducted and sexually assaulted young boys. Oh, is this like Mm -hmm. from Murder House? Maybe. Like the maid in Murder House, was it? Or is that in, no, it's in Hotel. No, this is not the same. No, but it's like based on that, like where he like takes oh, the boy. No oh, okay. Never mind. No, 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 no. <laughs> I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> okay. 
if someone if someone is listening to me right now, like I know what Jessica's talking about. <laughs> I'm sorry. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, okay. When he's done, he would take them into an incubator room to see the baby chicks and kill them. One of his targets, whom his mother helped kill, was Walter Collins. Another boy managed to escape Northcott's grasp and, having been told he had been a passing resemblance for the missing child, decided to pass himself off as Walter. He was eventually sent to Walter's mother, Christine, who recognized he was not her son. For her refusal to accept the official version of the story, sanctioned by police, she was institutionalized. Only after handwriting experts declared that the real Walter's print was not identical to the other boys did the authorities relent and release her. For his offenses, Northcott was actually hanged and his mother was sentenced to life in prison. Jesus, that's Mm -hmm. a real fucking story. Yeah. That's crazy. The next one is The Bank Job. The movie. Jason Statham had a light-on-action role in The Bank Job. His Terry Leather, a London car dealer who owes a heavy debt to some local thugs. Because of the debt, he agrees to join the group of crooks planning to rent a storefront, then dig a tunnel into the bank two doors down. Ooh, I like this so far. (laughs) When it turns out one of the safe's deposit boxes contains incriminating photos of high-ranking political officials, the entire caper takes on a different twist. Bank job faltered at the box office, likely because it was an atypical Statham flick. Audiences wanted to see him fighting, not digging. I mean, I would pay to see Jason Statham dig. Mm -hmm. Is he going to say things in his sexy accent? Then I'm fine with it. (laughs) Just saying. This is one of his best performances, though. In one of his best movies, director Roger Donaldson stages the heist meticulously so you can understand every aspect of it and therefore become more intense wondering how it will all pan out. I like it. Okay, the real-life story. The bank job is based on an actual robbery known in Britain as the walkie-talkie bank job. In 1971, a ham radio operator accidentally heard two people arguing over two-way radios about whether to keep digging a tunnel or pause for a while. He reported the suspicious behavior to the police, who, believing it was a hoax, failed to investigate in a timely manner. When over 500,000 pounds was reported stolen from the bank, the story hit the papers in a big way. Then the unexpected happened. A government gag order was put in place preventing the media from covering the news. It later came out that the bank vault held photographic evidence of sexual encounters featuring prominent public individuals, and many believed was the reason for the gag order. The resolution of this crime remains unknown due to the lack of reporting. Because of the dearth of information, the filmmakers had to make some educated guesses about some of the specifics, but they stayed very true to the parts that are known. That's kind of cool. Mm-hmm. Like, I didn't know that. Me either. I like it. The next movie is called Memories of Murder. Dun, dun, dun. The movie. Before making Parasite, Byung Chang Ho delivered one of the best, most engrossing police procedurals ever made. Memories of a Murder is not as well known as his acclaimed Oscar winning film, but it's every bit as good. It details the efforts of two cops with differing personalities, the methodical Park and the more aggressive Cho, to identify a serial killer whose victims are always women wearing red. Ooh, I wear red a lot. I don't like that. 
<laughs> they want to nab the guy before he strikes again. Whereas most serial killer films are about the killings, Memories of a Murder is more about the psychological toll trying to solve these cases take on Park in particular. Every day they don't find a killer means another innocent life potentially lost. The powerful, ambiguous ending also hints that the case's impact on Park goes on for years after. Ooh. Mm. I like that. Although not officially a true story, Memories of a Murder was inspired by a serial killer who took the lives of at least 10 women in South Korea between 1986 and 1991. The culprit tended to use a piece of women's clothing as a strangulation device. Similar to the film, the case went cold, staying dormant for decades. The sudden halt of murders, combined with the lack of conclusive evidence, inspired the director to examine the mental anguish authorities must have suffered from not catching the killer. Whereas the film ends with Park thinking he might possibly have uncovered a new clue, the actual story ends with a DNA match. Oh, you gotta fucking love a DNA match. Mm-hmm. It is believed that the so-called Korean Zodiac... Ki- what? There was a fucking Korean Zodiac killer? I had no clue. Well, according to this, there was. Wow. I'm sorry. That sounds interesting. <laughs> I was like, I hate when I find out things like that. <laughs> The so-called Korean Zodiac Killer was a man who went to jail for rape and murder of his sister-in-law. His DNA matched the fabric on one of the victim's underwear. Mm. Because of the statute of limitations had passed, police were unable to formally charge the suspect, giving the real sensation to the same sort of unsolved ending that makes the movie so potent. Mm. I really disagree with having a statute of limitation on murder. Yeah, I agree. That makes zero fucking sense. Like confusion (laughs) confusion (laughs) okay goldie hahn is in our next movie Ooh, it's called the summerland express the movie released in 1974 the sugarland express was steven spielberg's debut theatrical film wow Mm. next time you're at playing trivia you might get that question (laughs) goldie hahn and william atherin play Lugene and Clovis Poplin, a married couple who have their baby taken away from them thanks to poor parenting and the fact that they're small town or they're small time crux. I almost read that as small town crux. I'm like, mm, probably same difference. <laughs> <laughs> After she breaks him out of jail, they go on a road trip with the intention of swiping their child from the foster care in which he has been placed. A highway patrolman they take hostage ends up developing a surprising respect for the couple, coming to empathize with their plight. Hmm. The film, understandably, has been overshadowed by Spielberg's later work, but is an excellent character study of desperate people. Additionally, The Sugarland Express is worth seeing for Han's performance. It made her a true movie star. I love her. Mm-hmm, me too. Someone I know met her once, and I. Jim's been so jealous ever since. Damn. They were in Starbucks. That's crazy. And she was in line behind them. That's amazing. Apparently, Goldie Hawn is like the nicest person in the world because she stood there and like talked to them the whole time that they were there and then walked out. So it was my old boss's friend and Mm -hmm. my old boss wouldn't get out of the car to go into Starbucks and she didn't get to meet Goldie Hawn. Moral of the story, go into Starbucks. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. The real life story. The movie is loosely based on the true story of Bobby Dent, a small-time Texas crook, and his wife, Ela Fay. 
Freshly out of jail, although not freed by his spouse, as seen in the film, Bobby freaked out when he saw flashing lights in his rearview mirror. He subsequently led the cops on a chase. The car breaks down, so Bobby took his wife through the woods, eventually coming upon a ranch house. He called the police and gave a fake story designed to help them send out a patrol car. And when they did, they subdued the officer, handcuffing him and forcing him at gunpoint to drive them to his vehicle. Of course, other cops joined in the pursuit and the police department captain, Jerry Miller, maintained communication with Bobby via the unit's two-way radio. When Bobby agreed to release his hostage if the captain would allow them to visit her children from a previous marriage, he agreed, even promising that they could have a 15-minute head start afterwards. Miller, by this point, realized that Bobby wasn't particularly bright. He had the officers waiting at the home when the couple arrived. The hostage was freed and Bobby was shot and killed. And Isla Faye served five months of a five-year sentence. Damn, Bobby Dent. Wow. The next movie is called Man on a Swing. Man on a Swing is a fairly obscure 1974 thriller. There seems to be a lot of movies that came out in 1974 on this list. Right. And its status as an obscurity deserves to change. Cliff Robertson plays a small-town police chief, Lee Tucker. He's looking into the murder of a schoolteacher, a crime that had been committed in broad daylight in the parking lot. Tucker becomes frustrated by the lack of evidence, so when self-proclaimed psychic Franklin Wills offers to help him, he reluctantly accepts. Oh my god, there's a psychic involved, Tara. (gasps) As investigation goes on, Wills reveals that he has information only possessed by the police. Tucker begins to wonder whether or not this guy is actually a psychic or possibly the killer himself. The man on a swing keeps you guessing from start to finish, making it an engrossing police procedural with a unique twist. The real life story. William Clark's non-fictional book, The Girl on the Volkswagen Floor, provided the basis for Man on the Swing. It details the unsolved murder of Barbara Ann Butler, a 23-year-old woman from Dayton, Ohio, whose unclothed body was found on the floor of her car. She was covered in a blanket with her sunglasses on top. What? Mm, I like Mm. it. Police had evidence that the culprit was a man by the name of Jimmy Wayne Howard, yet the evidence was not strong enough to formally charge him. In an act of desperation, they asked Clark, who was already working on the story, to get in contact with a local practitioner of ESP to see if they could help. His intervention prevented cops from looking as though they were resorting to unproven methods. Howard's connection to Butler was never conclusively proven. How sad. Oh, okay. The next one, I think it like they're saying it's an underrated movie, but a lot of people know this one and I think like it. Okay. The next one is The Informant with Matt Damon. Matt Damon stars in The Informant as Mark Whitaker a highly ranking executive at Archie Daniels Midland, a well-known food additive company. He claims to the FBI that his employees are part of a price-fixing scheme. Along with some other agro-businesses, he agrees to go undercover to prove it. When parts of his story don't add up, the feds suspect he's embezzling money and start tightening the screws. Mark subsequently has to spin a web of lies to cover up his own initial lie. Aside from being an astute story about a desperate man trying to con his way out of a bad situation and only getting in deeper, the director gave Damon a dramatic role, a comedic role, and then cast comedian Joel McHale, who I love, and Patton Oswald, who I also love, 
in dramatic roles. The end results was the character study that continuously takes you by surprise. Okay, I love all of those people. And you have to love Patton Oswalt because yeah. of his wife, Michelle. Well, and because he's pretty great, so. Well, that too. Like, I think it's like a double, <laughs> like, love. Yeah. Okay. The actual Mark Whitaker spent three whole years on undercover mission to expose a price-fixing ring amongst Archie Daniels Midland and other companies, only to have it come out that he was he had embezzled $9 million <laughs> from ADM during the time he was assisting the FBI. Oh, my God. This fucker was assisting the FBI and embezzling at the same time. Oh, that's, that's a little bit hardcore. Oof. What the movie doesn't show you is that he was so despondent uh, upon being caught that he actually attempted to take his own life by sitting in a running car in his garage. After this incident, a mental health evaluation revealed that Whitaker had bipolar disorder. Hmm. Hmm. That material was a little too heavy for the film, which opts to put a comedic spin on the predicament. Nevertheless, several specific details are accurately depicted on screen, including the one in which the movie's Mark frantically attempts to fix a broken tape recorder he has hidden right in the middle of a meeting. Oh, shit. So, like, it broke and he's like, shit, I gotta fix this thing. Okay. Our next one is The Devil Strikes at Night. Bruno Ludek is a handyman with a secret. He has been a serial killer for more than a decade. Amazingly, he has been able to carry out his slaying without getting caught. That threatens to change when one victim's boyfriend is hauled in for her murder. Detective Axel Kristen has doubts about the guy's guilt and soon finds evidence pointing in Bruno's direction. The Devil Strikes at Night is a moody, atmospheric thriller with something to say about World War II Germany. Kristen receives a visit from an SS officer and learns that the Nazis are reluctant to have the public learn they're, they're nabbing the wrong guy. Oh, because I'm assuming the boyfriend's a Nazi. I mean, he has other problems. Doing so, they argue, would cause a public to lose faith in their abilities. That's a fascinating dilemma for the character, and the movie will give you chills, as well as some provocative themes. In actuality, Bruno is estimated to have killed more than 80 people during his reign of terror, if in fact he did kill anyone. Some scholars, this was World War II, why are we saying some scholars? Some scholars scholars have come to believe the man was innocent of the offenses, having been coerced into confessing by Henrik Franz, the police officer that Kirsten was based on. That's because Bruno is said to have been intellectually disabled of the Nazis as part of their, oh, eugenics efforts, wanted to suggest that individuals with mental limitations were dangerous and should therefore be eliminated from society. At the same time, admitting the wrong man had been detained would have been a calamity for the image they were trying to present. Instead of of being tried, Bruno was sent to an institution for forensic medicine, where he became the subject of unpleasant medical experiments, one of which ended up claiming his life. The Devil Strokes at Night tells a version of the story that isn't particularly accurate, even if it does make for compelling drama. Okay, I think we've finally come to the last one, folks. It's called The Bling Ring. Ooh, yeah. I know this one. I was like, do you yeah. know this movie? Okay. I know this movie. I know what case this is. Yes. 
This will be a fun one to do a full episode on. The Bling Ring is most definitely a, a crime story of our era. It follows a group of bored, famed, obsessed teenagers who use social media and other online tools to tell when celebrities are away from home. Oh, shit. Okay, yeah, I kind of... Mm-hmm. Hermione's in it. <laughs> I see her. <laughs> <laughs> they then break into celebrities' homes and rob them on the assumption that they own so much stuff that they'll never notice things are missing. Director Sofia Coppola uses the true story to examine how young people today believe that they deserve fame and attention and how the internet has created a sense that you are only somebody if somebody knows who you are. Stellar performances by Katie Chang and Emma Watson make the story come alive and Coppola's style directing underscores how these teens attempted to take the life of luxury that isn't theirs. The real life story is the leader of the actual bling game was Rachel Lee, an adolescent girl with a history of shoplifting. She and several pals, including aspiring TV star Alexis Niers, first targeted Paris Hilton, sweeping $2 million worth of jewelry, cash, and clothing over the course of several break-ins. Holy shit. They kind of were right. Like, several break-ins, Paris? Girl, get a better Mm -hmm. security. Later, they found out that the Hill star... Andrina Patridge was attending the Academy Awards, so they broke into her place, taking $43,000 worth of stuff. Rachel Bilson, Orlando Bloom, and Lindsay Lohan were among their other celebrity targets. One member of the group, Nick Pergo, was eventually arrested and he ratted out everyone. And he ratted out everyone else. Pergo and Nears served jail time for their offenses, whereas the others got a lengthy probation sentence and fines. Mm hmm. That seems weird. Hmm. One of the members even had the audacity to wear Lindsay or to wear Lohan's stolen necklace to her court date, (laughs) demonstrating a lack of remorse for their actions. Oh, my God. That's crazy. That's insane. I'm just going to wear this that I stole. Oh, my God. No, that's I mean, could you imagine like ballsy? Right, like, but if like the celebrities had to come and like identify their shit, and <laughs> Lo- Lindsay Lohan is like, <laughs> "That's my necklace, the one she's wearing. That's mine." <laughs> Especially like if it was one like she had worn to like an event or something, and like bought afterwards. Right? Could you imagine being yeah. like, "Well, here's a picture of me in this." Also, I'm just gonna rant about this for like two seconds. Just because people have a lot of money and they can have $43,000 of stuff that you can steal, like, doesn't mean that you should steal that because right. whether you think they're hardworking or not, they're like, that's still their shit. Oh, yeah, for sure. Like, I can't wait for you to look into this. You're going to enjoy this one. Oh my God, right? Well, that kind of wraps <laughs> us up for today. Oh, my God. I'm just like, I'm so glad we went out on that one. Yes. But- love it. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> it was so good. It's so good. Like, mm-hmm. this also happened to, like, Justin Bieber, didn't it? Like, I don't know if it's the same group, but, like, this a similar thing happened. Mm, I don't know. I mean, probably not because that was in, like, it was, like, what year again? Like, 2008 or some shit? It didn't say. No, but I, I feel like this isn't the only time this has happened. Oh, no, 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 no. I guarantee people fucking do shit like this all the time. Right. I mean... There's a reason that celebrities have to have, like, massive gates and shit, because, like, Mm -hmm. people are nosy and fucking rude. It's like people forget that celebrities are people, too. (laughs) Okay. 
So we're going to go ahead and wrap this episode up for today. We hope you enjoyed it. And we will be back on Monday for another episode. Bye, guys. Bye. Bye.